1: Hi, it's Joanna Oakey here and welcome back to The Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice. Aspect Legal. Now, today, uh we have a really good show. I know I say that about every show, don't I? But, of course, I absolutely mean it for this one, and I always do. But today, we're getting really deep into a particular industry. We're talking really about um, the veterinary industry um, and its valuations and merger and acquisition activity. Um, and so, whilst it might seem that this is a topic that's only relevant to those of you who are in um, or deal with the... Um, Um, the vet industry, I urge you to listen in any event because it's a really good idea of the benefits of niching, but also the benefits of um, using industry professionals who know what they're talking about in a particular area, whether or not we're talking about by industry or by topic or by the area that they're dealing in. Um, And it also just is a really good snapshot on the sorts of issues that are actually relevant in a broader sense to almost any business that's entering into to sale or an acquisition. So this is a two-part series because there was just too much gold to put it all in one episode. And today we are talking to our very experienced guests in this industry, Anne and Paolo Lentioni from APL Accountants. Now, Anne and Paolo both worked as veterinary surgeons prior to working in accounting. So they're both Very, very skilled people in both understanding the veterinary industry and also in understanding accounting, and and give a really good dimension on looking at some of the benefits of of having deep niche experience or deep experience uh, in any way. And Ampalo also have a business called Value Vet that specifically deals with valuations um, in the veterinary industry. So, in this two part series, We look at some industry-specific issues relating to valuations and business sales and acquisitions um, in the veterinary industry. Um, We look at some common mistakes and issues that occur in buying and selling businesses. We look at prepping for exit. We look at specific multiples. We look at the difference in uh, or the range of multiples that are available in exiting from veterinary business but we also look at what is most likely to put you at a low versus a high end of the multiples. We look at selling out to um, corporates or exiting in other ways like selling to shareholders or just a standard third-party sale to someone other than a corporate buyer. We look at earnouts. So we really cover a whole heap of um, relevant information and I hope you enjoy this two-part series. So this is part one, part one of the two-part series and in this episode part one we look primarily at the mistakes um, that uh, can really be made by businesses and perhaps accountants or brokers who might deal in this industry um, sometimes but not regularly so we look at the mistakes and we look at some opportunities and then in the next episode part two which will you'll be able to um, access next week we look in a more detailed way at the multiples that are available we look at selling out to corporates or deciding who um, to exit to. We look at earnouts um, and we look at what to do to prepare a business for sale. So, without further ado, let's head into part one of our two part series all about the vet industry valuations and merger and acquisition activity. Here we go. Thank you, Anne and Paulo. I'm so excited to have you on the show today because I think we're going to cover some really interesting topics in a deep way. Quite often here on the podcast, we cover topics that are relevant across industries, but here I think we can really get deep today into the veterinary industry and I think it's really useful. And to you, our listeners, if this is not your industry, have no fear. I think you'll actually find a lot of useful pointers for business sales and valuations as a whole that relate to the benefits of a niche approach in an industry Uh, depth approach. And and that's really what I think we're going to pick up on today with the two gurus, of course, in the accounting and valuation industry. Thank you for coming on the show.
2: Good to join you. (laughs) Thanks, Joanna. Thanks for having us back.
1: (laughs) Fabulous. I'm so excited to have you. Okay. So, today we're obviously talking about the industry-specific issues relating to valuations and business sales and, of course, acquisitions in the veterinary practice industry. Can I just throw it out to you? Maybe let's start with a super quick background Um, anyone who's a um, listener to this podcast or has been for a while have probably heard us discussing a little bit about this before but maybe if I can just throw it to the two of you to just give you give a bit of a quick background of how you got to where you are and and a little bit about uh, your niche and why
2: you niche. And I'll let you do that one. Uh. I, do, I normally do all the talking, so I'm going to keep quiet this time. <laughs> Our background is very niche. So, Pal and I, we're both veterinary surgeons. We worked for other clinics and then we actually had our own clinic. We've both studied further um, and then we've both also got an accounting qualification and are licensed accountants. So we're very specific to both accounting and veterinary, which is why we are so very niched. Mm. And the reason we've done it is we love working with vets and we love veterinary businesses, so that's what we do.
1: That's fabulous. I love it. I just love it when people love the industry they're in as well. And, of course, like, you've got two industries, right? You're in the industry, valuations and accounting, but but within the you know, the specialisation within the vet industry. So um, I love that you love your client's industry. That's just really cool. And that you've come from it as well, which I think is quite a unique th- – I mean, certainly it must be unique to have people who have <laughs> – I've been both vets or or whatever it is in the industry that they're specializing. So being in the industry and then being an advisor to the industry.
2: It is unusual, but it makes it so much easier to understand yeah. the industry because you've actually worked and you actually understand what goes on.
1: Yeah. And and so then maybe let's just get straight into it then. What what are some examples that you have seen of where a non-niche approach isn't the best solution for veterinary practices?
2: So I think Pali, you can bat in on me, but I think the problem with a non-niche approach is I think every industry has its own way of valuing because you know, some industries you're dealing a lot with plant and equipment, some industries you're dealing with a lot with goodwill. It's very specific and how you actually come about the valuation, you know, everyone's financials look the same, the profit and loss looks the same, but how you actually value within an industry is very specific in terms of what multiplier you're going to use if Mm. you're using future maintainable earnings, for example, or whether that's even the correct method. So, which method you use varies depending on what type of industry it is. Mm. So, I think if you don't really understand an industry, I know I would be very uncomfortable And I have actually been asked previously to value other business types. And I just say I can't because I wouldn't know where to begin. Mm. I think unless you understand the industry... And how businesses within that industry buy and sell and how they run and how they actually make their profits, I think it's very difficult to value them.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I would just add to that, like knowing what the going rate is for practices in a particular industry type uh, is is, is essential because you don't know, ultimately you're using a a certain valuation method, but at some point you're going to have to apply a capitalization rate or work out the return on investment for the buyer. Mm. And the only way you know what a, like, like ultimately what a business is worth is what it's going to sell for like you can put whatever you want on a document but without knowing what a lot of that particular type of businesses actually do sell for yeah um, you can do the client a huge disservice mm. uh, if you don't know that industry type because you might value it using you know method you get accustomed to for other industry types, not being mm. aware of the fact that there's a really, really um, you know, big drive to purchase that type of business, uh, mm. or that's been happening over the last 18 months.
1: And I think what you're picking up on there is is something that I hear as a complaint over and over again from um, brokers and corporate advisors who are acting for clients in the sale, not just in veterinary, and this is actually across the board as a whole. It's that they've gone to someone to value the business, the value that's been given to them, it just doesn't match what's Happening in the market, so they go to market and they end up in you know either a really long campaign or um, just just disappointment uh, for the seller because the seller hasn't been able to achieve what they had thought they would be able to achieve and so I think it's a really good point that you make valuation isn't about sitting in I mean there's many reasons for valuation of a business um, but but if you're valuing a business for sale for exit it's just really important to um, to not be giving a misleading answer and for that actually to be you, you know couched in where the market is and it's not just where the market is as a whole. It's also where the market is right now, right?
2: Yeah, definitely. The market
0: changes all the time. And also the market, like, it probably is the same for other industries too, but also in the region uh, in which the business is selling. So, like, for our specific scenario, we know uh, a veterinary practice uh, in a city or urban area is much more likely to get a buyer than a veterinary Mm. practice that's in a rural area. And there's good reason for that. It's very, very hard to recruit staff in the rural areas now and, you know, uh, qualified staff to that extent. So, veterinary practices in urban areas sell uh, for a much At a much higher value than ones in rural areas. So we have to take that into account. And you wouldn't know that really if you, um, if you, if you don't do a lot of that industry type. you know, Mm. This would, I guess, would apply across lots of other industry types too because there'll be those quirks in the industry types. And the other example would be a mixed practice is a lot harder to sell than a small animal-only practice Mm. because to find a buyer for a mixed practice, you have to find a buyer who knows how to work on cattle and on horses and on dogs and cats. Whereas Mm. if you're looking at a city practice that just deals with dogs and cats, we know Mm. that most veterinary surgeons can actually deal with that species quite competently. Mm. Uh, Whereas you know that there are vets who won't touch a horse. Uh, I would be one of those. <laughs> and Anne would be one of those too.
1: Um,
0: so, um, so, so you know, we we would definitely not be in the market. So your market literally gets whittled down to less than thirty percent of what it would be if it was a small animal
1: practice. Yeah. So yeah. there's
0: these quirks you have to
1: consider. Yep, yep, and so so obviously these are some of uh, some of the quirks that you're talking about. What are some some of the other quirks? Uh, I mean, you you know from from what I've seen of veterinary practices, there really is a lot of differences about the way veterinary practices, it, it maybe even the ownership structure of veterinary practices, um, and certainly you know the ways that veterinary practices are going out to sale and to exit. Um, we're having a little bit of a chat about this before we started recording. But one of the things that it seems to me in the veterinary industry is that there's a lot more sale to staff, sale to employees than most other industries I see. So, maybe if you can talk about some of those
2: industry-specific types of consideration. So, I think often... It is sold within to staff. Or often, what it is is actually that they're not the current owners, not exiting completely. Yeah. But they're bringing one or two staff members in so that they've got sort of assistance in the management and running of the business, and also almost a lock in of veterinary manpower because it's hard to recruit. So often, there's more reasons than just that they're wanting to exit. They're maybe not ready to exit. But they want to make sure that they keep those good vets. And they also often have had those vets for a while and feel that they almost owe it to them to give them that opportunity to buy Mm -hmm. in so that they sort of share in the profits and things. So, I think it's not uncommon to sell to employees. And then, you know, things like how the um, business is structured can be important in that it might be that the current owner needs to restructure in order to bring the employees in. Mm -hmm. So, um, it it can complicate things. And it often um, happens that Veterinary businesses, the owners often also own the property that they operate out of mm. and that can bring in complications if you're bringing someone in because what are you going to do then in terms of the property? Are you going to sell them part of the property um, and how that's all going to structure as well? Mm-hmm,
0: and I can add to that because Jan, you mentioned the business structures. I think people who 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 are familiar with um with medicos, doctors, dentists, that will probably understand that um, these businesses often uh, operate out of very complicated structures. Mm-hmm. You can often have service trusts sitting mm-hmm. on the side, which are responsible for some of the expenses. And mentioned the property, which is obviously sitting in a different entity, It will normally be sitting in a separate trust. So when you're doing the valuation, you have to make sure you're aware of these other entities and you consolidate the financials. We have seen occasions where. like like valuations have been presented to us or financials have been presented to a potential buyer who may or would have made the mistake of not actually considering that there's other this other entity on the side, like a service trust, which is responsible for all the plant and equipment.
1: Oh, wow. So you're saying that this can be myth.
0: Yeah, and I actually, actually, I, I believe this is also in, in service-based industries like dentists. I believe this mm. is quite common practice. Mm. It's quite mm. common in the veterinary industry for sure. So, yeah. for any buyers out there who sort of think, you know, I'm going to do this myself, um, you've got to be really, really sure you know what you're doing because when there's these interposed entities, it's very, very easy to make a mistake. Yeah. And uh, uh, like you're looking at, it, you know, uh, you know, a couple of hundred thousand dollars or more type of mistakes. So
2: yeah, yeah. And the yeah. same with rent. There might not be rent, or it might not be market value rent that's sitting in the financials because the building is owned by the same person or same family as the business. So, there's little things in the financials that might be missing or might not be correct that you need to take into consideration.
1: And let's uh, sticking with that theme because I just love the uh, I love stories (laughs) and examples. Maybe can can you dig into um, some of your history and think of like some of the biggest potential mistakes that um, you've seen people almost make or perhaps actually make?
0: Before you start, I want to say that the one lucky thing we have dealing with the veterinary industry is that ninety nine point nine percent of these people are extremely honest. Yeah, and a lot of these mistakes we're going to bring up now are actually not done in on purpose mm. they are um we are talking about medicos often who are doing their own bookkeeping mm. and they often make uh, colossal errors uh, uh unintentional errors in their financial statements um and so we know that um it's it's uh, i don't think at this to this day, and we've been doing this for about eight years, have I found someone who's willfully and intentionally made, uh, you know, tried to hide something from us. Mm. Um, these are all errors that are made by a completely honest person.
1: Can I just say that I, I think that is something that is a little bit special with the veterinary industry as well. I don't know why, but it seems, you know, that there is, <laughs> you know, I I, I can't even expo- explain it, but it does seem that there's, um, you know, a, sort of an honest, caring sort of nature in all of the business owners that I've seen of that, not that there's not generally, but it just seems like particularly concentrated in the veterinary industry. Mm. So, I think that's an interesting…
0: <laughs> no one became a vet because they wanted to make money.
2: Or because they wanted to, yeah, they, they, they don't want to be mean to anyone. Yeah, had they had
0: grades that they could have done anything they wanted to and yet right. they chose the, the, the profession that's probably the lowest paid profession. So, that's probably
2: why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what a nice industry to be involved in. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, they <laughs> have to have a
2: caring attitude to look after all the patients that they look after. So, it is yeah. a different sort of… Yeah. together yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Okay, all right. Well, hit us, hit us with it. So, we've actually had a client that, they weren't a client and they bought a clinic and then they came to us um, six months, 12 months later and they'd actually valued the clinic themselves because they didn't want to pay <gasps> for specialist advice Oh goodness! and they didn't realise that the financials that they were presented because they weren't from an accountant, they were just from the bookkeeping software, the revenue actually included GST. <gasps> And that makes obviously a 10% difference to the wow. revenue, which makes a massive difference to what they thought the business was worth and therefore offered the current owner. And the current owner hadn't asked for a specific amount based on any error. The current owner had given them the financials and asked them to make an offer. And oh, they no. made an offer based on this, not really understanding financials. And um, they've, they bought it. So, it was too late to do anything about it.
1: Wow,
0: and I can actually think of two other cases where this. I can think of one other cases where this happened, and we discovered it after the fact. And um, I can think of a case where this happened, and we discovered it whilst we were doing the valuation. So it's a, and it's a common error made by people who um, who do their own bookkeeping um, and don't really understand how to reconcile their GST and don't understand the profit and loss statements GSTX. So that's one of the classic
1: ones. Wow, that's Is a very big that, one. So it's one to remember. amazing. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. So big tip: make sure you remember GST <laughs> and be really mindful of whether it's included or excluded. From so check what financials you're actually being yeah, yeah. presented with and yeah. what's in there. Yeah, well, I mean better, better still um, engage professionals I think is the yeah. point. Yeah. Well, I think that's the
2: problem. <laughs> Vets are smart people so they do understand to a degree but obviously they're not completely trained in financials so they don't understand everything. Yeah. So you know you can make mistakes without realising.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay and what and what else have you got there in your you toolkit? What other mistakes have you seen?
0: I can bring up the rent. I mean, we often get presented with someone say, oh, I'm going to buy this practice and, um, uh, you know, I'm going to offer this. Um, and, like, I, I said to them, can I value it? And um, one of the things I'll ask them is, I, I, is there actually rent in the financials? And they'll look and they'll say, no, there's there's no rent in the financials. Mm. And i say to them, "Then well, do you think when you buy this business from the owner and they own their own property, they're going to let you stay there for free forever? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Probably not. You know, have they omitted something or forgotten to tell you about it? No, absolutely not. They actually own the property outright. They've they've finished paying it off. It's fully owned. And so, they've got no obligation to record it in the financials for the business. It's owned by another entity. So, they they keep their own business in there for free. It's not unusual,
1: mm-hmm. um, you know. But mm-hmm. certainly,
0: when they sell the business to a new business owner and they exit, they're going to want rent back for that property.
1: Mm-hmm. So, you have
0: to put rent in. And I mean, just from in terms of like what difference does this make? You know, say it's a small property like a shop front or something and, you know, you're paying $50,000 rent a year, and you know the return on investment capitalization rate you want to use on that business is twenty percent. That's a five times multiplier. Mm. Um, you know, so you're looking at a two hundred thousand plus dollar problem mm. um, there um, in, in in the value of that business.
1: And, and I guess what you're bringing up here, you know, and absolutely it sits in a mistake, but then I, I guess the other component of it as well is, well, what are some of these considerations when we're prepping for exit, you know, and how we are going to treat rent um, if all along, you know, it's been this, this relationship because we or our SMSF owns the property, um, the premises that we're in. Uh, obviously, there's this sort of balancing between wanting to charge a rent that's similar to the rent that you'll be charging post sale um, so that it's justified versus the amount that that eats into the profit that will sit in the figures when you're calculating your um, valuation. So, do you have a particular approach or how how do you deal with coming at that sort of issue?
2: So, really the, the seller would need to determine what fair market rent is and they might want to be advised by an agent that knows sort of what property lease is for in that area. Because the problem they've got, if they were to understate the rent that the buyer is going to have to pay, then although it makes the value of the business higher, so they get more money up front, they then end up with a lower rent long term. So if they're planning on holding mm. onto that building, you know, for the next 15, 20 years, then they actually, you know with their lease agreement, ending up getting a lot less money than they should. So often, mm. you know, they, they're worse off by trying to overvalue their business and making the rent low. They've really got to look at what a fair market rent is mm. and that's really what they've got to stick to to make it sort of it's fair for themselves too going mm. forwards.
0: Just to clarify that a bit is when we actually do the valuation, we assess the rent, mm. and then um, we get uh, before the 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 buyer buys, we actually make sure that there's a lease in place. Mm. So basically, the value of the rent we put in the valuation is what the seller is going to be beholden to going yep. forwards. Yeah, yeah, so There's there's a big disadvantage to them understating the rent at that stage because long term they're going to get less rent if they do. Mm. It
1: mm. Well, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I guess on the one hand, it can look like um, you'll you'll get an uplift of three times or whatever multiple you're using at the time for um, for not for understating the rent because you're getting a return of three times. I'm not cl- counting that as a cost. Um, but but what you're really saying here as well, if you're looking at a 15 year lease, maybe actually you're losing 15 times the amount of that in return for wanting to get three. You know, I guess yeah, here's the so balance, overall you're actually you know. worse
2: off. So yeah, yeah, you've, yeah, you've got to be sort of realistic.
1: Yeah, unless of course we put in a market review clause at some point in the rep, but anyway here's all the things to think about aren't there. there's a lot of things <laughs> let's not go tell that rab had a whole too much okay all right but i think it's a really good example of the sorts of things that do like there are so many things that require consideration that um that a seller or buyer perhaps just wouldn't even think about themselves because they're they're quite deep issues aren't they
2: so, those are many buyer things and there's more. But from a seller's perspective also, um, we always very careful with them that they've thought about things that might be in their financials that aren't business-related. Mm. So, for example, they might have a personal mobile running through their business that they don't really need for work. Mm. Um So, you know, there'll be expenses running through there that maybe are related to another business, if they've got another business or Mm. something else that they really need to make us aware of if we're doing evaluation because they're going to undervalue their business otherwise. Mm. So, they need to really think about those things.
1: I love the tactful or something related to <laughs> oh. something
2: else. Yes, we, we see. <laughs> this is a classic
1: era, isn't it? You know, leading into into sale, yeah. not having cleaned up the accounts yeah. and, you know, all sorts of random, you know, artwork cars, you know, et cetera, et cetera.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Might be sitting. When we value, we look at the last three years. So, you really need to have thought about sale. It's also about prepping for sale as a seller um, and thinking about the fact that you're selling in advance and not just deciding, oh, I'm going to sell. And then, Mm. you know, there's all these little things that have crept in over the years.
1: Mm. And what's your suggestion of lead time for that review and prep into exit? I would say
2: three years. Yeah, three years mm. is
0: what we work on because we know when we value a practice. Normally, we're going to apply our um, our valuation across three years. We do wait each year. We'll wait, but... we'll wait the most mm. recent year, the highest, but we always look at three, three, the last three years of the business, mm. um, and certainly other brokers we've spoken to in the veterinary industry also have the same advice. So generally, if someone's thinking about a planned succession or exit, we would say start thinking about. That three years before.
1: Mm, I think that's super good advice because there's a lot of things to think about, aren't there? And, and you know, it's not really until people get serious about a sale and then they're committed emotionally to that concept of a sale and then sort of telling them, okay, well, you know, here's your valuation today. But if, yeah, if you were to prep yourself properly, um, three and give yourself a timeline of um, a runway of three years, and this is the possible. This is yeah. what it really could look like. Then, then it can be a bit of a disappointment for them at that point, can't it? Because they're already commo- emotionally committed. Yeah, they're committed
2: to selling, but they they're not really ready. They 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 could make so much more if they just hung on to it. There's often little things they could do with their business. They're maybe not always running them um, as well as what they could as well. So, when we do evaluation, we look at some other factors in the business and, you know, we might see, you know, they could be doing a lot more in terms of dentistry or radiography. There's other areas that they could actually be Mm. focused on and be making um, better profits. So, it's often good to get a sort of a base and then with a view to selling in three years that you then look at the things you can do so, that you can actually get the business running better, so that you can actually sell for more when you do come to sell.
1: Fascinating. That's a really good point. So, you know, sort of looking at the mix of what they're doing and, and
2: helping them introduce more profitable yeah. lines. Yeah. yeah. So then that's stable in the business going forwards for the new owner.
0: Yeah. I, I would say, it. actually, and you said this in the beginning, Jonah, is like, you know, we were talking initially about, you know, uh, valuing a practice for selling, but um, I would say, 40% or more of the valuations we do are valuing a practice for succession planning. Mm. And this is where like, and this I think applies across all the industries is if you have your business value, like if you think, okay, I'm going to sell in three years and you have your business valued now and the the value that comes out is not quite as high as you want it for your retirement, and mm. you've got three years to fix the problem. Mm. And if you can find someone in your industry to help you find out where you're underservicing your customers, possibly you've got some pricing issues, and improve all those things uh, in those three years and improve the profitability of that business significantly, you will get heaps, heaps more for that business three years later.
1: Mm. So. And, you know, have the benefit of having a business that's more profitable. <laughs> that's yeah, like, also
0: yeah, awesome in those three years. Right. Of course,
1: so, yeah, yeah. So, so, it's not really even about exit at all although of course it's of course it's very relevant to exit but but it's also just as relevant to running a business at any point you know
2: yeah so some people do actually have regular valuations. so you could have a valuation every sort of three to five years Mm. and then look at what you can do and start working on the business to improve it and then have another valuation see if what you've done is working so it keeps your business on track also so you've got a better business and then a better ask for sale when the time does come.
1: That's a really I, I love that. That's a really sensible suggestion. And so um so what what are some other, you know, really common mistakes that you're seeing in this industry?
2: So, if we stick with the seller just for a moment and then we can flick back to the buyer, um, sellers often are also getting rebates from suppliers Mm. and sometimes those actually don't come through the business bank account. For example, they might be on a separate visa card Mm. or they might be points somewhere. So, it's things that we're not picking up on the financials if you're just looking at it and they are going to be something that the new buyer will also have access to because those rebates, you know, will follow through, they'll have the same suppliers. So it's actually a fair bit of income sometimes that they're getting. Mm. You know, it could be twenty, thirty thousand, but again, you know, with a four, or five times multiplier, mm-hmm. makes a significant difference in yeah. value. So it's a case of sort of going through and making sure that everything is getting into the financials in terms of income as well. That we're not missing. And
0: this is an area actually a lot of um, uh, accountants uh, make a mistake on if they don't deal with a lot of veterinary practices. They lump them together with dentists and doctors, but -hmm. they don't realize that a sizable veterinary practice actually runs a lot more stock than these other industries because they run their own pharmacy, they have their own operating theaters, uh, operating materials. So in a big, big, large veterinary practice, it wouldn't be unusual to see uh, a cost of goods sold, an annual cost of goods sold, uh, supplies of uh, of over a million dollars a year. Right. Um, and the rebates on that can be significant mm. um, and um, they often miss the financials mm. uh, and for that reason obviously um, uh, the seller would undervalue their practice so it's one of it's one of the things that are classic for that industry
2: and I guess that's where it comes back to niche and you've got to understand the industry that you know what things are maybe not in the financials that should be, or you know, if we look at a set of financials and there's no rebates or there's not a amount of rebates that we'd expect to match with the cost of goods sold that we're seeing, we would then go back and say, you know, would would start questioning on the rebates. So, it's a case of understanding what should be in there. Mm.
0: And the seller will come back and say, oh, yes, the rebates. Oh,
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that account, right? Uh, uh, <laughs> what are you mean? things like? <laughs>
0: I mean, some of the big wholesalers actually issue their own card. Um, mm. so, um, so it's a completely different card where the rebates come on. And, like, if you don't know that customer really, really well and you're just doing their tax, you, just, well, you wouldn't know it was
1: there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yep. it's a really good point. I guess you know this sort of dovetails, and it's effectively the same thing as as what you're talking about here. But that ability to benchmark, you know, you've got an idea. I would say, I'm guessing also of you know what the usual proportions are in terms of various expense types that you know someone who's not niched in the industry may not realize is a bit of a standout for a particular practice. Is is that something that comes up?
2: Yeah, so we benchmark their financials and look at what certain ratios are. And if they're not right, we start to question. But, that goes
0: really well into like the owner's wages
2: adjustment, yep. actually, actually, because we were going to discuss
0: that. So, mm. um, for example, we know that the average veterinary practice in Australia, their wages are exclusive of super around 40% of, mm. uh, of revenue. Now, if we see a practice uh, that's being valued and the wages are coming back at 25%, mm.
1: um,
0: that sort of brings up a whole lot of red flags for me. And one of the things uh, that's very, very common in small business is commercial owner's wage adjustment. Mm. You know, the owner, the business owner is a key person in the business. They're working maybe a 50-hour week in that business. And when you look at the payroll, they're only taking a wage of about $50,000. Mm. Now, you know, as a veterinary surgeon working that amount of time, um, their their commercial wage should probably be Mm. $150,000. And in that particular scenario, you have to make an adjustment on the wages and you have to increase the business's wages to a commercial wage for the owner. And Mm. that is a very, very common problem. Mm. um in uh, in valuing businesses
1: and because i guess this is the veterinary industry is a type of industry i guess like a a dental industry medical but where you have your your business owners are generally always the people who are the fee earners as well in in this type of business is that right i mean do you see Um, many um, under management
0: yeah, no, not necessarily. Actually, um, I mean, the, the business owners will usually be working there, but they don't have to be. The uh, like, there can be a lot of other vets there. Um, but the business owners will obviously take the wage if they not if they don't need a lot of personal income, they'll take a, a wage that gives them the best outcome for their tax. Purposes.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some yeah, you will know, take so no wage. So depending, some will take you know, no
0: yeah. wage. Some of them are like, you know, it depends what their spouse is doing. It depends on a lot of things. So there's a lot of reasons why a business owner won't take a commercial wage, and not because they try and hide it or sell the business. There's a lot mm-hmm. of legitimate reasons why they don't mm. um, and you always have to adjust that and the question would be if you didn't know the veterinary industry like i don't know the pharmacy industry or i mm. don't know you know how motor car sales works how do you do a commercial owner's wage adjustment for someone if you don't know what that particular role earns in a yeah. year yeah.
2: Um,
0: you know so it, that's a key element of any valuation uh, in a small business and if mm. you don't know that industry type how do you know what what to adjust that to
1: Mm, okay, fabulous. I, I think this um, rounds out part one of our discussion. I have so much more I want to talk to you about. I really want to get stuck into multiples and talking about the multiples. Like, Let's just get into the nitty-gritty soon. I want to talk about... Um, buyers who are corporates and and other um sorts of approaches we i think it would be remiss of us not to have a bit of a discussion about earnouts and the other considerations for sellers as they're getting out Um, so thank you so much for coming in today and i'm really looking forward to having you both back for part two Thank you. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Actually, before we go, though, um, maybe if you can just give our listeners a bit of an overview of how they can find you if they're interested in getting um, some industry-specific assistance.
2: The best place to go is our website. So, it's www.aplaccountants.com.au, and everything you need to know about us is on there
1: great okay and um and if you are running along the beach while you were listening to this half your luck but uh if you're in the commute into work don't worry you don't have to stop and get a pen um you know the drill by now we'll um put all of the information in our show notes and on our website so that you can head over to apl accountant it's okay like, hey, fabulous i am so looking forward to having both of you back for part two looking forward to it too Okay, that's it for this episode, which is part one of a two-part series all about the vet industry, valuations merger and acquisition activity, getting ready for exit, acquiring veterinary practices, and all of that related information. So I highly encourage you to come back next week and listen to part two of our two-part series. In part two, we really hone in on looking at the multiples that are available, what is the difference between getting a low versus a high multiple. We look at um, who you might be looking to exit to. We look at the difference between exiting to a corporate buyer versus perhaps selling to staff um, or selling to another third party. We look at the concept of earnouts and we also look at the sorts of things that you should look to do when you're preparing your business for sale. We look at structure decisions, what to do in relation to staff. We look at leasing um, and a whole heap of things. So I highly recommend that you head back to this podcast and hunt out part two. But until then, if you'd like to find out more about this topic or you'd like to find out how to contact Anne or Paolo, then all you have to do is head over to our website at www the podcast.com There you'll be able to, of course, link through straight to APL Accountants and Value Vet. And you'll also, there at our website, be able to find out how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of of sales or acquisitions. We've even got a free call feature on our website. Yes, that's right. You heard it here. <laughs> a free call feature where you can um, book a time to speak to either me or one of our other legal eagles um, if you're interested in finding out how we might be able to assist you in your acquisition or sale or perhaps your clients who are leading into acquisition or sale. Well, that's it for today. As always, I'm so excited to have had you on board as a listener. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode just as much as I enjoyed recording it. And of course, if you really did enjoy what you're listening to today, I'll be ever so grateful if you might consider just giving up one minute of your time and leaving us a review. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast player. Well, thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oakey and The Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au
0: ladies and gentlemen ladies and we'll conclude this
1: evening's entertainment
0: thanks for listening to the deal room podcast to find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au